I had $400 in my bank account at the time and almost $100,000 in debt. And I thought, I don't wanna have my own business, let alone, I can't financially, there's no way. And one of my friends and clients said, just do it. And I said, well, I have rent due at the end of the month. And she said, sleep on my couch then. Essentially, now's the time. we head down to Palo Santo Studios, which is a multi-division creative studio. They have a wholesale showroom, a creative production element to their brand, and also an in-house brand. We sat down with Cassie Ebner, the founder and the heartbeat of the brand, and we think that you're going to love this conversation. My girls, my guys, my group, this is MG Method, the show. You know, people see on the outside all of the exterior parts and specifically for creatives, I feel like this is a unique industry where like any traditional career path, we knew that it was a grind and a struggle. If yeah. you wanted to be a doctor, you wanted to be a lawyer. So people already had those expectations and it helped them have the endurance to get there. But creative, we don't really discuss that. So then the moment you reach that opposition as a creative, you're like, I'm out. But if we only knew like we were to expect part of like hearing about you getting up this hill, when we experience it, we go, okay, I'll stay in it. Yeah. You know, and creatives, I, I don't, I think people's like, part of it is like this, mm, like sexy narrative about the artist. Well, they're also very sensitive people. Mm. So I think a lot of creatives maybe don't tap into their resilience in the way that maybe somebody else oh. would who isn't in that like emotional space. Cause creativity is so raw and vulnerable and it's subjective. Mm. Like it's not a multiple choice answer. So you have to be willing to stand by it and be resilient and push through it and maybe be wrong or be right for yourself. I don't know. Yeah, that is really interesting. I do agree. I feel like a lot of challenges that I faced, I had no idea. But (laughs) (laughs) they were going to exist. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Where were you born and where what were your parents Um, doing for a living? Cedar Sinai, yeah, Pico Robertson, right? That area in Mid City, that's where I lived. Um, well, so my mom was actually Orthodox Jewish and she got divorced when I was two. And so she left that and we she met my who I consider my dad now. And they moved to the valley. My mom's a teacher, he's in sales, and yeah, so I grew up out there. What did you like feel? your role was in your specific family and the, the dynamic within your family? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I feel like, hmm, the first word that comes to mind is peacemaker, but my home was very peaceful. So it wasn't mm. like I had to take much action in that, but I feel like I definitely had a people-pleasing energy. So I wanted everything to be really happy and joyful and connected. And I think My parents were just extremely emotionally supportive. Like they told me from a super young age, oh my God, you're the best artist ever. Like you're so creative. They never put me on that path of you have to be a lawyer, you have to be a doctor to be successful. They definitely encouraged me to do whatever my heart desired. And they wanted to turn everything into a business, which is funny because I was so resistant to that. Like I would make a painting. They said, we should put this on shirts. That'd be amazing. I was like, no, that's not cool. Mom, don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's nice that you had that introduction early to the 
to the fact that art can become something that you monetize and something that you you can make a living from. And I never thought about it that way, but yeah, I really did. Because neither of my parents have their own businesses. Okay, you're not, gonna ask, you're gonna ask. Yeah, they're not entrepreneurs, anything like that. So, so then having parents that kind of encourage you, what do you remember the first time that you actually took that invitation on? Mm, the first time that I took the invitation. Was there ever a time that they said, hey, let's sell this. And then you said, okay, like I'll start. What was your first kind of job or way of making money that you, you took on? Well, I always loved working. I started working when I was 13. I had, my mom helped me make my resume and I handed it out in the neighborhood for babysitting jobs. And on my resume, it said that I'd taken care of my little sister really well. <laughs> and I got a nannying job for the Did summer. You? And it was so exciting. My next job after that was... Um, my dad would buy me water bottles from Costco and I would go walk to the corner, the busy corner of our street because we lived off a of main street and at uh, rush hour, it would be completely backed up for miles oh. and I would stand on the corner and sell the water bottles <laughs> so, wow. to people in cars. So yeah, that was my first entrepreneurial experience, I guess. Yeah. You said that you, said that you liked working. Yeah. So what were the type of feelings that came up for you when you would do those things, when you were kind of like selling the water or nannying? What type of thing did you enjoy about the work? I loved being productive. And maybe it's my Virgo moon, but <laughs> I just loved getting things done. I loved being challenged. I loved school growing up too. I, I very much, before, you know, you become boy crazy in high school. I was definitely super interested in just learning and expanding my brain and having new experiences. And I think maybe because my life was really beautifully regimented and safe, I felt this excitement about mental adventures. I, they, my parents had to push me to go outside because I would stay in, indoors all day reading. because I was just so curious and wanting to learn. Um, but definitely with working, I think a sense of control, empowerment, um, but I infused creativity from day one into everything I did. So if I was a nanny and was babysitting, you know, I did art projects with them or, you know, let them draw all over me and, you know, build <laughs> things together. So I definitely think that I had a lens for life that was never going to necessarily lend itself to the corporate world because I always wanted to do things my way. And I created so many amazing containers to do that that's really special like it's special and I think like um this is this is fascinating that you said you felt safe because I think people are still exploring what that feels like in the world um and you know what type of environment did you feel is necessary for you to create that so what what type of things helped you feel safe I guess mm -hmm. definitely scheduling structure like I loved having a schedule <laughs> I love, yeah, I think the word container just comes back to me so often because I love to operate within a space. Even now in my business, I do something different every day and I'm constantly changing and growing it, adding new divisions, people, clients. But because it's in this container that I've defined, it feels totally manageable and it doesn't feel overwhelming because I'm like, oh, that's just part of this world that I've created. And I feel like I can do something different every day while not deviating from my path. Mm. So, and so, like, we're so curious about the brand and you and 
kind of, um, we do want to go back to just kind of what was some of like the first job and how did you find, you know, your place here and what brought you here? Like all the way back to just how, like first how deep work, or even even you mentioned earlier that you were in a building or in this built very building, mm-hmm. and you had a, another job here. So what was that first job that you came into this that brought you into this building? Oh right, okay. Yeah. So essentially, so my first office for my for Palo Santo Studios was in here in this building, and um, one of my clients had a small office and she rented it out to me, and so it was the floor below here. And it was just that small like entry office that you came into here. And I was so excited. It was just my little office. And I remember I was sitting at my desk and I had to find a new apartment. And I looked out the window and kind of was like, where am I going to live? And I saw a for lease sign on the building across. And I literally went over and I <laughs> and I applied for an apartment. So I lived across the street. I had my little office. I was so happy. And then eventually I outgrew it a couple of years later. So I moved up to this floor into that office. And then I was saying that this office had been vacated. And so I put in an offer and the building said no. And I was devastated. Yeah. Why did they say no? Just, I, it was just too low. Yeah. And so I was like, I guess I'm not ready for that big of a space. Divine timing. It'll happen when it's meant to. They ended up coming back to me and said that they had split the space up. And so I said, okay, I'm going to put in an offer on this portion of the space. And they accepted it. And then the next day they said, you know what? We just realized when we were looking at the plans, this office had been connected to your old office. So we'll build the doorway for free and just connect it all and you can have the whole space. And so that's how this office was born. That's incredible. So they built that doorway through over to the production studio and connected it all. And then I love the homage to my first office. So when you walk in, it's this cute little entry and then it goes into the production space that we've built out and then now here into the photo studio which has been so special because I feel like I was struggling especially during COVID to find ways to cultivate community and that's actually why I launched uh, the in-house brand in the first place was I made it as merch for gifts for buyers and clients and friends and so now to have the studio space and we're meeting so many people all the time, renting it out and having people shoot in here and bringing so many more projects close to home. It's been really cool to see that happening. So hopefully I can do events and things here too. But yeah, it's been, it's definitely my dream office. Yeah. <laughs> what, what gave you in its infancy? What, what were you doing before the work that, before you started the brand? Mm-hmm. I'm curious to know, and we're curious, like what work you were doing and what, um, made you th- see that this was necessary, that you wanted, that there was maybe a, a, an opportunity or space that was available for you to create the vision that you specifically had. Do you want the timeline like leading up to me launching Paul Santo Studios yeah. in general yeah. or just the brand? Yeah. Okay, amazing. Yeah. yeah. Okay, perfect. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Whichever you feel. Yeah. So I was working in the art department for a production company who produced TV shows for Disney. And so that's kind of where I thought my path was headed. So I had started as an internship there and then they hired me as a PA and was kind of working my way up. And so I want to be a production designer. And we were doing Hannah Montana and The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, like these iconic shows. And I slowly realized we were arriving at 5, 6 a.m. and we weren't leaving till 10 p.m. (laughs) And I was still in school at the time. So I was working there full time and then going to school at night, um, two days a week to finish college. And um, 
yeah, I was just like, I don't know if this is sustainable. And so um, at one point I almost was gonna drop out and uh, my art teacher said, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Don't drop out and leave for a career if you don't even know it, that's exactly what you wanna do. And I said, well, that is what I wanna do. And he said, just give it a little bit of time. So I stayed, got my degree, and then I realized the entertainment industry was not for me. The pace that it was moving at the time just felt really tone deaf to what was happening around them, which was there were producers having heart attacks and people who weren't spending any time with their family. And I just had this intuitive feeling that I wanted a career that had an opportunity for a more balanced lifestyle. And that just wasn't possible. So I left and I took odd jobs. I was working at a metal processing company. Like when you turn an iPhone white, it's an anodized process, just random stuff. And <laughs> so I was working at a cupcake shop, just anything to pay my bills. And I was rapidly going into credit card debt. And my mom actually sent me a Craigslist ad for an internship. And she said, you've always loved fashion. What if you did a fashion internship? And I think I was in bed eating ice cream at the time <laughs> at my mom's house. And I said, you know what? I mean, I really have nothing left to lose. Right. <laughs> I'm already at rock right. bottom. <laughs> and so I, uh, I went to the interview for the internship. I got it. I worked my way up. Eventually I became, over the next five years, the director of sales and marketing. I worked right under the owner. It was such an incredible experience. I was super lucky to work at a small company. So I was learning, you know, she was my mentor. She was teaching me everything, the ins and out of the industry. And essentially what happened is things just changed. I mean, when we first started in the wholesale space, because it was a wholesale showroom, you could go to market and make hundreds of thousands of dollars for brands. You could sell things with a white background image and buyers were asking, how can I get this cheaper? and faster. So for market, for, for context, for those of us that oh, yeah. aren't in that space, is market a vet in a, like a large, maybe you can share with us. I won't even guess. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you could well, share with us what so it is. So in the wholesale space, a wholesale showroom acts similarly to how an agent books an actor into a movie. We book brands into stores. So we were mm -hmm. it was a jewelry showroom. We represented brands. And so when you go shopping at a boutique or at Nordstrom or, you know, any retailer, Net-A-Porter, they've sort of brokeraged an order with a wholesale rep um, or you know a representative of the brand. So when you would go to market, it would be these trade show events where everybody would set up their booth and you bring all your jewelry. And it's, I mean, it's a little bit of an antiquated concept now, but <laughs> back in the day, it was how everybody did it. All these people in the industry were coming together and shopping for their stores. And yeah, it was really, it's interesting that I haven't thought about this in so long, but it was such a vibrant environment. It was so fast paced. Everyone was so excited. And then things started changing. People started asking, well, where is this from? What is it made Whoa. of? Who's behind it? And we all saw that happening in the social media space. Suddenly, who's the founder? Like, where right. are you making your product? What are the ingredients? And it's crazy to think that that was a movement. Yes. <laughs> asking where your stuff came from and how it was made and who made it. But that wasn't a thing then. It was literally a product on a white background. I'll take it, can I get it cheaper? That was the narrative. And so I saw what was happening was that a lot of the brands we were representing started to really fall behind because they weren't moving with the times. And so I essentially said, you know, let's take one of the brands as a case study and help build them in a way that could give them a refreshed opportunity in the sales space. So one of the brands gave me a tiny budget 
my sister was the model. My <laughs> friend was the photographer. And I said, let me take over your Instagram for 30 days. I'm going to do your lookbook, your line sheet, shoot your campaign, redo your website. And because I have an art degree with an emphasis in design. So I was like, okay, I have an art degree. I was in production. You know, I'll just pull these people together. I'm from LA. I can figure this out. And so they went from being negative in there and from paying showroom fees, they were in the negative. So they went from being in the negative to then that quarter making $55,000 after we launched that. And it was like $15 necklaces. So it was, <laughs> it was a huge leap. Yeah. So I essentially said, this works. When you give the brand an identity, people connect with it more. And it actually does matter in the wholesale space. And when I brought that to the owner, she, she loved it. We ran with it for a little bit. And then eventually she said, that's not really my passion. I've done things the way I've done them for a long time. If this is really what you want to do, you should go off on your own and do it. <laughs> I, <laughs> and she did. Okay. <laughs> I had $400 in my bank account at the time and almost $100,000 in debt between school and credit cards. And I thought, I don't want to have my own business, let alone I can't financially. There's no way. And one of my friends and clients said, you don't have kids. You don't have a mortgage. Just do it. And I said, well, I have rent due at the end of the month. And she said, sleep on my couch then. This, you, essentially, now's the time. If you're not going to do it now, when are you ever going to do it? Just go for it and see what happens. The worst thing that happens is you get evicted from your apartment and you sleep on my couch. So I was really lucky that I worked in an agency setting. So when I left, there were clients who eventually came with me when they needed those services. And so within that 30-day transition of leaving, I already had five clients and my bills were paid. So I thought, okay, I'm, I'm onto something. So my whole goal from the beginning was as long as I keep my ethics and integrity intact, and I'm doing this from a place of greatest good intention, then everything's going to work out. That's kind of how I went into it. If I were to give someone else business advice, I think I would recommend them having a safety net. I didn't have a family that could give me money. I didn't have a loan I could take out. My credit score was, you know, 530. I, I just didn't have any resources. So if I hadn't been so aligned and in divine timing, who knows what would have happened. So I definitely encourage people to do what they're passionate about and feels in alignment for them. But it would definitely be better to have a safety net just so that you don't have to. I made some decisions that if I had been in a different financial situation, I wouldn't have made. So I think a lot of people are really good at knowing their worth now. And I think there's a whole new movement of really setting boundaries and saying no and demanding your worth. And I think I did a lot of work that was really underpaid because I needed the money. And it built my character and I'm, I wouldn't take it back. But I think if I could give anyone else advice is have that safety net just so you feel confident enough to say no to anything that's not in alignment for you. Oh, I love this. I love this like um, this gift because I do think that sometimes in those decisions that you, when you make that those choices, you do end up comp- like compromising, right? And so it's like there comes a point in which you're expanding your experience and your knowledge. Luckily, you're in a scenario where some of those things that you step into might not alter the course of your life or your business, you know. Um, but I also. I keep thinking about the friend and I think about how 
especially when people are trying to find their confidence. You know, it's it's really having a team and people around you that encourage you to kind of step into that. And I think that that is also um, something we don't hear about as often, like, and in, in really just being mindful of like what language and encouragement and or support. So like sometimes people don't have that friend. They're like, that. that's a silly idea. Don't step into that. And maybe you had made a different choice, but you felt like, oh, wow, from one person's ability to see me and know that my intention is pure, she, she or he has my back, you know? I mean, it's just, it's so beautiful because I think the female founder story that we hear so much now is, I was at such and such place and then that launched me into this and then I funded my whole business <laughs> and with 10 rounds of investors and now I'm a millionaire, Yeah, you know? So I think yeah. more often than not, we think these people just sprout out of a corporate situation, go off on their own, get investors, and then, you know, it's all just green pastures. So I do like to share that I was in debt. I didn't have financial resources. Nobody was giving me a boost. And it literally was just people believing in me and my intention. So... It was definitely scary. It was jumping off a cliff, but I think that was what I needed to do. And I had had a lot of, well, I don't, I don't know how. Go ahead. <clears throat> I don't know how woo woo you want to get. Go ahead, please. <laughs> we like we appreciate the woo woo. But yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I definitely had that friend and client who believed in me and gave me sort of the real world cushion that I needed. Of you can sleep on my couch and giving me the perspective of if you don't do it now, when will you do it? But leading up to that, I had a really beautiful runway of spiritual teachers and life coaches who had really helped me. And so I think a really pivotal time was in my mid twenties, I lived with someone who is one of my best friends still. And he really opened my eyes to a facet of spirituality that I hadn't been open to before because growing up Orthodox Jewish, and then sort of holding on to a loose version of that and then going to Catholic school your whole life and then Lutheran college, you really get instilled with this idea that it's all or nothing. So religion is very much to me um, given to us in a way that it makes you feel like if you don't uphold every facet of it, then you're not enough. And he showed me this side of spirituality where it was like a buffet. Like you just choose all your favorite things and pull it together and make what works for you. And it blew my mind. And I said, well, so if this works for me, I could do it. But I don't, if that doesn't resonate with me, I don't need to do that. And he was like, yeah, of course. You don't have to talk to anyone you don't like and you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. And it was just mind blowing. And he was super successful in the field that he was in. So he was really an expander for me in that way because I was like, okay, he's doing what he loves. He's really good at it. And he has all of his ethics and integrity in check. And he's just making the world a better place without having to be Mother Teresa. So it made me feel really hopeful that there was a path for me that way. And I knew it was in fashion somehow. And so through that, I, I feel like I met the right people. And, you know, I started doing yoga and, you know, being interested in meditation. And, and then I was set up with this life coach. And I couldn't afford it. I split it between three credit cards. And I can't believe how much money I spent on it. But someone said, what you spend on this, you're going to get back tenfold because you're going to do everything you need to do to make this happen. This is the highest form of accountability. 
And so I worked with her and we were doing every day for an hour, we were meeting for 90 days. And she was pushing me to confront childhood trauma. She was pushing me to confront things in my life that I didn't want to look at. And it sort of just took my blinders off and I was looking at everything in my life, whether I wanted to or not. And one of the downloads that I got was to meet my biological father. And my whole life leading up to 25 years old, I had never had any inkling or intention of doing that. And it just came to me in a meditation at download. You need to make this thing real to you because I was struggling in my romantic relationships. I couldn't find my partner. I was waking up on Sunday mornings, crying, wishing that I had that person in my life. And so I thought, okay, every therapist I've gone to, it's like, oh, your biological dad, like the whole story. And so I was like, I want to just confront this and move on. And we, he had moved to New York. So I went to New York for work and we had a meetup. It was so validating. He was so lovely to me. He couldn't have said more wonderful things. I decided not to pursue a relationship with him, but it was such a good feeling to have it go well. I walked away so empowered. Every relationship after that, it just like started escalating like crazy. Like every boyfriend or dating situation after that was just, I was really setting boundaries. I was saying exactly what I wanted. I wasn't compromising on my worth. And that kind of all led up to then in April when I left that job and started my business, I also met my partner now and it kind of all happened together. And I was like, this is my life. Like I'm meant to have this business and I'm meant to be with this person. And it all kind of just unfolded from there. So that was a really long tangent no. that I don't know where I even started. No, I, I think that, you know, oh, we don't often hear just how important the inner work is, you know, like understanding that trauma informs some of the decisions uh, decisions that you make yeah. as um, one, like starting with you being like the CEO of your own life, you know, and you figuring out what feels good, but also now looking back for someone that might say, I have some obstacles or blocks in my own life. Maybe I can't find that person. Maybe I can't have that specific conversation what would you say um, you would share with them about their ability to kind of still confront that, if you will? Like, are there any kind of tools that you took away from just the philosophy that you learned with the life coach that that you could share with somebody that, um, you know, might help them in their exploration, even if they can't get in contact with somebody else or something that had happened in their life? Oh, yeah, of course. I also believe that we've experienced a paradigm shift where the gurus and the experts are no longer outside of us. We have everything we need inside of us. So I definitely don't endorse going and getting a $10,000 life coach, <laughs> but I'm so happy I went through that yeah. so I can help share that knowledge with people, which is just being radically honest with yourself. I think that we tell ourselves a lot of stories to make ourselves smaller and to play it safe. And I think what I really needed was a kick in the butt. I needed someone to say, what do you, Cassie, really want? Because I feel like I was doing what I thought was expected of me a lot of the times. And yeah, it was just, it was really interesting to get quiet with myself too, because we move so quickly and do so much. I think the introduction of meditation was really important for me and just being quiet with myself each day and allowing the thoughts to happen. And a lot of stuff comes up 
But I mean, I've done it all. I've done the life coach. I've done the hypnotherapy. And I just passed my one year mark of Kundalini where I've been doing Kundalini every morning. So I'm definitely a spiritual junkie. It's part of my lifestyle and hobby. But what's really cool about that is fashion is something I love so much. And I love monetizing it. I love turning it into business. I love getting other people involved, hiring creatives, building out community. And then spirituality gets to be this other love of mine. And I feel no need to monetize it. And I don't need to, I never push on other people. I mean, I definitely have found that people say, oh, we had no idea you were so woo-woo. And it's, <laughs> you know, cause I'm so practical mm-hmm. and rational and I never projected on people. But meanwhile, I'm like trying to quantum jump in the shower. So you know what I mean? Like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I love that you, you have have kind of like figured out even what where those boundaries are and and like what those gifts are to you and the ones that you want to share and the ones that you know you kind of want to hold on to so that you have that sort of um, kind of place that you can go to that also contributes. I know we hear so often when people think about the fashion industry um, that you know there's a lot of challenges with regard to our our participation in the industry. And so, you know, this is um, when I think of the brand and, and we think about, oh my goodness, they, they're they really leading with kind of ethics and integrity and fashion in this way. How did you start to see that those things could coexist? Because I think when we start to bring up that something is challenging, right now we're kind of like, let's just push that to the side. You know, fashion is dirty versus hold on, hold on, hold on. You know, this is something we love and something that we want to kind of um, pour into and find strategies and solutions. So how did you start to see that those things could coexist? Well, what was interesting was coming from that space of people saying, I want it cheaper, I want it faster. And then seeing people kind of have their interest peaked when you shared why something might cost a little more or what the details of the fabrics were. And so when I launched the showroom portion of Palo Santo Studios, my goal was to only represent sustainably focused brands because sustainability is a black hole. If we were actually all living right. sustainably, I'd be in my garden bartering with my neighbor over my eggplant. Like that's just how it would be. <laughs> we wouldn't be selling or making anything. Yeah. But, you know, we live in a modern world. So sustainably focused is really important to me because we're just trying to make the world a better place. We don't need a few people doing it perfectly. We need everyone trying. So as long as you're trying to make the space a little bit better, you're ethically, ethically producing, you are being really conscious about sourcing and every day you're just trying to make your production and your, you know, company more eco-friendly, more people-friendly, then we're happy. But that was the focus of my showroom was making sure these brands and also to take away the idea, because in the past, I feel like a lot of um, brands who are considered sustainable were equated to granola or hippies mm-hmm. or like yes, a hemp were. potato sack. <laughs> oh, yes, they were <laughs> So it was this mixture of elevated design mm-hmm. with sustainability. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really wanted to carve out. And what's so cool is now, five years later, people come to us for that. Yes. I was like, you, yes, <laughs> yes, this is so where we go. So they seek us out and they say, we know that Palo Santo Studios has vetted these brands and they're doing things ethically. They're working on sustainability. We know that they're going to have incredible customer service. The people behind it are real Mm -hmm. and that there's so much opportunity for true partnership and creativity with these brands. And that's just night and day from what the industry originally cultivated, which in wholesale, it was really very black and white. And 
you just delivered a product. There was no personal connection. And so it feels really cool to have created this more modern showroom space that is also a lifestyle because it was very common for showrooms to represent all the same category and they're all fighting for the same budget mm. where you come here and you could technically stock every brand and create an entire lifestyle for that person who cares about the environment. They care about design. They want to support emerging artists and it's just this really cool synergy. Mm. So it's, yeah, it's really special. Yeah. You, you've brought up a couple things that I want us to kind of dive into a little bit more. Um, the power of design, you know, and specifically like your philosophy on design, because we always think about design as a tool for you to, to create habit formation and or just the life that you want and how just like design alone can make people feel so great that they show up for new beliefs or new people or um, new experiences. And I feel like you've really respected that and, and it really brought that into every element of something that we experience. But design can also be something that feels like a little bit more work, a little bit more intentionality. So can you kind of just share with us some of your philosophies on how you like to weave design into everything that you do? Because we, we feel it. <laughs> we feel it. <laughs> well, less is more. Less is always more with me. Um, I definitely... I love clean lines. I love letting things breathe and have air and have natural movement. Everything I do, I try to make it feel organic, raw, earthy. And I ask myself, like, could I find this in some form in nature? Because I think Mother Earth is the greatest designer. So I really, I, I look to her for inspiration. I definitely think that minimalism um, has definitely had a moment to shine, which is really great because people are really embracing that we don't have to always overwhelm our senses and we can really find beauty in the simplest of things. And I think that can reflect in people's lifestyles too. I've definitely become a full minimalist in my home. I was going to say, ask. going to ask. You're going to ask. And I think that lends to sustainability. If you invest in one really beautiful piece that you're going to love forever, instead of consuming tons and tons of things that just crowd your space and your energy, then it's, I, I definitely think that minimalism and elevated design definitely lend itself to a more conscious and thoughtful lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even like in a Marie Kondo world where it's like everything has to spark joy, I kind of do live my life that way. Nothing in my life doesn't have a purpose or a place. Yeah, also my partner, he is a graphic designer, art director. So he was a huge influence on me because we met at the beginning of my business. And so I fancied myself a designer. I do think I have that sort of invisible eye for things mm -hmm. because I studied design. So composition and color palette and mood all comes naturally to me, but he really refined my taste levels. And uh, I remember I had designed my own logo and when I showed it to him, he said, you know what, let me work on this. <laughs> he gave me a new logo and I, it blew my mind. I was like, this is me. Like this encapsulates everything. I had 10 new client inquiries. After you launched after the logo? After I launched the new logo. Oh, the power of branding. And I told him, I was like, you really know what you're doing. Yeah. And so I started really listening. And I mean, now I'm a nightmare. I'm like, the spacing between the letter <laughs> needs to be one point bigger. So, I mean, if anything, I've gone off the deep end now. So I definitely encourage people to be loose and do what makes them feel good. Um, but it should evoke a sense of 
joy. I mean, it really should. Design is to be experienced with all your senses. It brings you peace. It brings you order, but it also is this like open space for you to really express yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm just such a huge proponent of people being really authentic with their aesthetic, but definitely when you come to come to Palo Santo, we really, we hone it in for you. Yeah. We really streamline it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think with this is nice because um, it also brings people, you know, it brings people that, that have um, either, you know, similarity or interest or curiosity. Um, and you work with clients and that's a unique, you know, we can talk about this, but like that's a unique experience in and of itself and how often you know, from the outside, I think most of the time we think, okay, if the vision is very clear and it is here, when you experience working with a client, there might not be any friction because we know what we're getting here. Is that true? Is it something that you still are always navigating? Can you share with us kind of even in a client experience in which a brand ID or community feels really clear? Um, you know, what is the process of somebody starting to refine who they are, but also using you as kind of a backbone and support in that exploration? Well, so we have three divisions. One is the wholesale showroom. One is the creative division. And then the other is the in-house brand. So in the showroom division, it's so seamless. The right people come to us. It's so in flow. All of our partnerships are organic. We never force anything. And I feel like because I'm rooted in sales and that was my first endeavor, it feels really yummy and juicy and it's really fun. So there the friction is, it's not there. It just, it makes sense. And I feel like I'm answering a need in that space. The creative production, that was something that was more challenging for me because it was new. So I didn't have that safety of saying, I've been doing this for 10 years. I really had to be honest and vulnerable and say, I might need help. I might need to learn. I need to onboard people. And so that space, there was a lot of friction at times. <laughs> what sort of things would come up? So, so for, uh, for all of our understanding, so you had the wholesale space and then people ended up being able to come to you and say, hey, you have this vision. I have a brand. Can you help me? Is it shoot content or kind of like come up with um, more of our brand experience? Is that what people were coming to you for from well, the creative side? Or how would you describe that just so we know? What, what yeah, the creative is. division really came from me wanting to play. And so it was rooted in creative production, meaning photo shoot production. But I was doing social media management. I was doing graphic design. It was all over the place. <laughs> Anything that I could do and get my hands on, I was doing it. And so over time, we've really refined it. Now it is just creative production. So we produce shoots for brands. Um, and I work as a freelance producer as well for people so the creative production has become really refined where we produce campaigns and content for brands. And we do work with brands behind the scenes for their brand identity and their social media, but we've really dialed that in that we work with people who, I just like to be transparent with my clients. If, they're, if you wanna create a super authentic, genuine connection with your community, you're gonna have to get your hands in there. But if you're someone who is a designer who needs more time to design and deal with the bigger picture of your business and you need the support of people who have been in the space for a really long time and can aesthetically, creatively, and ethically carry out your vision and help you reach your global community, we can do that. But 
I feel like the social media space is such, it can be so volatile. So I really like to step away from algorithms and stats and ROIs and benchmarkers and say, why don't we look at this from an authentic creative perspective? What do you want people to feel when they see your social media, when they interact with you? Who do you want to reach? And if you come from that space and you stop thinking about all the nuances and logistics of it, I think it's way more beneficial. And do you notice that for brands, there's resistance there, especially in the beginning when they're trying to figure out their returns and if they're going to have profit? Like, how do you emotionally support people as they kind of evolve into the, okay, like, this is what I'm feeling. This is what we're thinking. This is what we stand for um, when they maybe have been looking to like, what is performing? Mm -hmm. What is making us money? Like, how do you kind of well, when I have an introductory meeting with someone and I tell them I'm not running your ads and I'm not giving you your analytics, it really separates who wants to work with me and who doesn't. Really? Right away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right away. I'm super honest because my whole perspective is we're going to work together if it's meant to be and it's going to happen when it's supposed to. So, I mean, I've, I've actually never reached out to a client and asked them to work with me. They all come to me. I tell them how I work. I give them all the information. If they feel a connection and feel like I can bring value to their brand and help share them with the world, then we work together and it's seamless. Obviously, when I first started, mm -hmm. I needed to pay the bills. So I was way more aggressive and willing to do things that were outside of my scope of work. And I was overworked, underpaid, but I figured it all out. So now it, it's kind of like when you, I guess the saying is you started from sweeping the floors and worked all your way. Like, I feel like I don't have anyone who works for me or with me that I don't know how to do what they do. So I've been there, I've done everything. And so I feel like, I don't feel like any task is above or below me. And I think clients can sense that there's, there is definitely a connotation I feel like for clients that work with me that like they wanna work with me. Like they just enjoy working with me. So it's this kind of unspoken connection that we create and it's just a lot of trust, so. And the fact, the fact that you are not necessarily looking at the analytics and the ads, this I find fascinating because you're really creating with freedom, you know, versus I know sometimes, and I've personally worked in companies where, you know, you're in the room with someone who's sitting there saying, I need this ad and this ad and this, ad, you know, so it's very tailored towards what someone that's marketing or running the ads is kind of overseeing. So you guys show up for your creative, you trust your creative and and also give it out into the world and then feel that return back without having yeah. like really focused on that in the first yeah, place. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it shows in our in-house brand. I mean, like I said, I created that as merchandise for the studio, gave it to people as gifts, and some photos were posted online and people just kept asking, where can I buy that? And I thought, this is crazy. Nobody would ever <laughs> want to buy something with my company name on it. That is so weird. And so I posted a story and I said, anyone who wants to buy one, DM me. And I had 150 orders Whoa. in a day. And I thought, okay, maybe there's something here and I should start doing this. And so I built a website and I did all the things that I do for my clients. And I started building out all of that creative and it was really humbling because I really saw what people were up against. When it's yours, nothing is good enough and it's it's so vulnerable and it's expensive and it 
was really interesting because it made me so much more compassionate Mm -hmm. for my clients. Whereas before I was vicious with how come you don't offer a larger range of sizing? You're not size inclusive enough. You're not doing this, you know, well enough and really, you know, in a great way, I was pushing for size inclusivity and sustainability in these brands. But once I saw the other side of production, I thought, wow, they're really doing the best they can, you know, and a lot of people don't know how expensive it is to expand your size range. I'm not saying that's an excuse for someone not to do it, but I had more compassion with the timelines in which we could work towards doing that. And I could come up with better creative solutions. What can we do to help inject more funds into your business to then push it towards this project where we can expand your sizing range and thinking more in that way, instead of like, well, yeah, yeah, where is that? (laughs) Can you do that tomorrow? Yeah. And I, I love that you said that because like when you come to it without that, like judgment, really, it's really like removing that judgment and coming with kindness. It helps us become more resourceful and more effective, you know, and even initially when you said that you'd go into this space and then you started noticing and listening and hearing those questions come about, we go, oh, there isn't some like big machine happening behind the curtain where people are trying to be vicious or trying to hurt or, and look, sometimes that information is there and it's not acted on, but I think that it helps us move towards the kind of vision that we hope to see for the future when we come to it with, you know, now we have new information and with that new information, we might be able to ask new questions and support in, in different ways that help us bridge that, that, you know, gap, if you will. Yeah, 100%. Because I think a lot of people reacted to my brand saying, oh, you have a brand now, so you don't have to do anything else, right? And I said, no, this informs me even more in all of my other ventures. I mean, it just gives me such a new, fresh perspective and makes me more compassionate with my clients. It makes me really just see from the inside out what they need to do to be successful. And there... I. I always have the saying that it's like when all your stars align. And I think if the founder and the person behind it really believes in it, they're not just launching it because they want to sell it in five years. That's totally fine if you want to sell your business. And that's a beautiful goal to have down the road. But to come into it saying, I want to create something because I really believe in it. And you're willing to bring in the right people and you're willing to produce ethically and you're answering a question in the marketplace. Like what problem are you solving? If you're doing all those things and you're sharing that with the global community, it's going to resonate with someone. It's going to work. So I think I'm just, it's all a learning process. So my brand has been a really amazing space to learn and see what people want and bring that back into my client space. So to me, it's a very synergist. And it's also how I find some of my clients. They'll buy a sweatshirt and contact me and say, I had no idea you were a studio. I love your sweats. Oh, wow. Could we work together? So I've had so many clients come through that. So to me, it's like this conduit. Is that the right word? (laughs) It's a conduit to all of these new opportunities. And I think people have always wondered, well, what do you really do? It's not that clear what we offer. And so it's kind of fun for me to say, this is even more confusing that we sell (laughs) sell things, but it makes people want to work with us even more. Yeah. So it all plays nicely together. I like that you you are like embracing that. And because like, I do think it keeps people curious. And I do know that even like for myself, and that's something that we're constantly playing with and navigating when people want to like, you need this defined and this needs to stay in the line and this needs to go in that box. And 
what sort of things now that you kind of have brought your brand in and the way that your brain works, because we respect the way that you think, are you starting to think about some of the things you want to, you want to create and have you had a kind of a shift in like, this is a bigger vision, you know, like I see this sort of thing now and I maybe hadn't seen it last year or the year before, but where, where's your heart right now? Well, earlier this year, I had a really incredible opportunity um, that came at such a perfect time. I had been getting a lot of resistance from other people telling me I needed to pick a lane. Mm -hmm. People started to feel that I was doing too much, which is such a common theme for people to put up against women. You're doing too much. I feel threatened by this. Whatever, Whatever the reason is, I was just being told that I needed to hone in on something. And that didn't feel good to me. And I felt very lost and confused for a second. And I really just dove deeper into my meditation practice and was doing two hours a day of meditating and just really looking for the answer. And I'm not kidding. I got an email from the buyer at Nordstrom after one month of meditating like this, like crazy. And it was a nice email. We've, I've worked with her for a decade now at my old showroom in here and the team has changed, but everyone has always been so lovely. And they asked for Riley and I to get on a call. Riley is the director of wholesale. So they asked for, Nordstrom asked for Riley and I to get on a call. And we thought, okay, they you know probably just wanna give us an update how things are going and see where we're gonna be at market or something like And we get on the call and they say, we really wanna do a creative project with you. And we were like, okay, sure, what are you thinking? And they said, well, in our Nike Nordstrom section, cause they have a store in store for Nike, we want to do a curation of your brands that are uh, sustainable. So we want to work with the wholesale showroom to do that. We then want to stock custom colors of your in-house brand and do a custom collaboration. And then we want you guys to produce the the shoot for it. So that was such validation for them to say, we want all All your divisions and we want it all together. And so it couldn't have been more clear to me that I was on the right path. And so any self-doubt I had around that completely vanished. And then all the divisions just like doubled after that because I, I need, I, I don't want to say I needed, but it was just such a pat on the back from the universe for someone to say that they wanted all of that in one project. And it was such an incredible opportunity. I mean, we brought farm animals in, like Mm. we had all, you know, the most fun crew come in and it was this huge, incredible opportunity and working with them was such a joy. And it really solidified for me that I was going in the right direction. Mm. And that there's this this opportunity for partnership because sometimes I think that um, people can feel intimidated to step into a space because they think I'm going to be competing with the big guys in Mm. this specific space, the big women, the big whoever in that space. But there's a way that people can work together and like there's a way that they can um, find an opportunity for people to bring in smaller brands and then find a space within their kind of infrastructure or their distribution or something of oh, that yeah. nature. I mean, Nordstrom so this was, is cool. Oh, sorry. No, no, please go ahead. <laughs> I mean, Nordstrom was just so cool to work with in that way because they are considered one of the big guys. Yeah. And they said to me, we want the Palo Santo girl to feel like she can engage with us. Like we have what she's interested in because they're trying to be more conscious. And so that also solidified for me that my vision of creating this space in the fashion world where people are really asking questions and wanting to connect with brands was actualizing because there's a lot of 
insecurities, I think, for brands where they have to project that they're bigger than they are. And in this instance, we were being rewarded for being small. They wanted people to know that these brands were one girl making jewelry in her garage. Like you didn't have to hide and pretend that you were some big corporation. They wanted to expose the beauty in these emerging brands and support them. So, yeah. yeah. How do you um, nurture? I know one of the questions we get here um, on the show and the podcast is, you know, I have multiple facets of who I am. And sometimes some of those areas feel a little bit neglected because we're pursuing one of those specific areas. Has it been for you um, and the team that you've kind of always kind of juggled as you kind of bring in the production element, the whole um, the wholesale element, your brand? Is it that you're constantly kind of always juggling and just like, bringing attention to each of those areas when it calls to it. Um, How do you kind of navigate that? Yeah, I think it's organic need. So whichever division needs most attention, I'll definitely put myself there and do it. And then it's personal preference, whatever's inspiring me at the time. Um, And I think my goal for the company would be that there's fully fleshed out teams for each division that are keeping it at a specific level that doesn't require me to micromanage it 24 seven. And then I can come in, you know, weekly, monthly and sort of inspire those teams and, you know, make sure that it's still carrying out my vision. But I think right now I'm definitely, I'm like a B12 shot. Like I come in and I like get <laughs> things going, you know? So as we grow bigger, that would be, you know, cause we're such a small team. Everyone's at 110% running on all cylinders. And so I think that would be my goal is just I've had so much resistance in the past to managing people that I think it's actually only been the past couple of months that I've had this realization that I want these teams built out because there was the fear of payroll. There was the fear of, you know, too many personalities to manage or not having enough space or having so much overhead. And I think a lot of those fears have kind of washed away as I've realized that whatever I put my intention on will expand and create prosperity And so I want to work with people who feel really passionate about that specific division, because right now I think we're all toggling between everything and we love it all. But it would be really cool to bring in someone who was only working on one of the spaces and was really passionate about it and was really excited about it. So that would be my future vision for the company. This this is a really um, beautiful opportunity you've given us in the sense that um, whether it's like you're running uh, a business or your family, like actually taking the time to figure out uh, like who can thrive in each of those spaces and say like, you know, you maybe don't love doing the dishes, but you love, you know, helping with the yard and like just really finding a way to again, design, right? Use design, use intentionality and even personnel and figure out who wants that, like who wants the ball in that space and who can show up. This entire like idea is something that is still very new, right? Like we have it, we have seen so many businesses like silo different areas of who we are and, and what we, how we experience um, products, but you really consider like the full life you know, um, and I think that this is something that, you know, we're hoping that more brands kind of adopt and, and that people can adopt because it nurtures every part of us, you know. So thank you for doing that. Oh, and- yeah. Well, I hope that's the future of the workspace. I think that you can have a balanced lifestyle where you're living authentically and happy and still have an incredible work ethic and come to work every day so excited. There's a lot of confusing information right now about 
career because I think we've had this beautiful shift of people empowering themselves to make their own income and uh, not have to work for somebody else. But I think it's there's a big pressure now, I think, on the younger generation to work for themselves, even if that maybe doesn't serve them. Mm. So I think that as a collective, we need to consider if the way that we've ran workspaces is still how we all want to operate in, you know, the new paradigm. Because I ha I sometimes will revert to stuff and think, well, I worked from this time to this time. And, you know, when your grandparents yes. say, and I walked oh, uphill yes, both yes, yes. ways in the snow, you know, it's that mentality is so normal in human nature to want everyone to work as hard as we did. But I really do have this other side that I try to consciously tap into where I think, okay, what if when I was working for someone else, I only had to work these hours and they gave me a wellness day off each month or they gave me praise and validation for this. And like, you know, could that be a sustainable workspace that you could stay in your whole life or for an extended period of time and, or you grow and then you do your own thing. It just, it definitely, there's a lot of questions there that I haven't even answered myself, but I know that I want to cultivate a space where, you know, the girls can talk to me about what's going on in their life and I can be conscious of that and, you know, create a safe space where people don't have to sacrifice their life and their well-being and their health and wellness mm -hmm. um, in order to just perform a job because that would be going against everything that my company is built on. So yeah. We are actually familiar with some of the team here. Um, we've had Hannah Faith Lord on the podcast and, and the show, and she actually mentioned you in, in the episode and um, just kind of was sharing how you guys would trek, you know, a bunch of clothes and go shoot in the desert and all this. What is, you know, what is it specifically that you look for in hiring creatives that you feel fit the essence of what we've experienced and what we're learning about who you are as a brand? Oh, that is a really good question. I think what I look most for in creatives is collaboration. I think this industry can breed a lot of people who feel that they are above others. Mm -hmm. And I think that something I look for is a team mentality. Like whether I'm the producer or the PA, like we are all on the same team and we have the same vision. And I think someone like Hannah has the same care and trust that I believe that I have. Um, I guess that's not the trust isn't the right word in that situation. Um, someone like Hannah has, takes the same care with clients as I do, where clients can trust that we really want to deliver the best product possible. And I think oftentimes when you're in a creative space, you have to be willing to let the creative do what they want to do. And Hannah can completely suspend her ego or needs and deliver what the client wants. Of course, we're always going to put our spin on it, um, but that's why they came to us. They I was want like, it's a vision. good to have. It is a good one. <laughs> <laughs> they want our vision for sure. Yeah. But I think that, you know, she never goes rogue. I can always trust Hannah. I, I, she is such a blessing in my life. And it's so beautiful to have met her when, I mean, she was basically sleeping in her friend's bed. And now, I mean, I can barely afford her now. She's like, <laughs> she's taking over. I mean, she just shot two of the Fear of God campaigns. Uh, yeah, she, she shot for Goop. Yes. She just got her own, like she literally was sleeping in someone else's bed five years ago after her divorce. And now she just got her own apartment that she's paying for the whole thing. She's like doing it Beautiful, up. I mean, yeah. it's so inspiring to see that journey. 
So I think in Hannah, I see something more than a creative. I mean, she's one of my best friends now. And when I first started working with her, I hadn't even started Palo Santo yet. I was working at my other job and I was doing this as a side hustle. And a mutual friend introduced us and I said, okay, yeah, I'll try her out. Let's see. I don't know. I'll give her a chance. And she was like, she's really down bad. Like, can you, can you give her a shot? Yeah. And she, Whoa. what she delivered, I, I rarely have people meet my expectations, let alone exceed them. And she absolutely did. And so I really thought this is a partnership that's, that's going to really change my business and change my life. And she became one of my best friends and through that, I think she's set a really high bar for the other people I work with. <laughs> but I think there's this, it's the collaborative nature. Mm -hmm. It's the care for the client because, you know, we're not doing a gallery installation. We are deli doing deliverables for a client. So I need someone I can trust. You're going to have to give me X amount of images. We're going to have to make sure we shoot all the product. And I just hold myself to a really high standard where if I make a promise to a client, I absolutely meet that or exceed it. And so that's why someone like Hannah really fits well into the equation. But I think because we're working with emerging brands, oftentimes there is a bootstrapping nature mm -hmm. because I just think that there should be access to creativity for people who aren't huge corporations. And so there's a give and take. I want to demand my worth and make sure all the creatives are compensated fairly but on the other side, I do want to create access to these tools for brands. I mean, I think if they work with someone like us, they create these beautiful campaigns and they're able to have this kind of creative to propel themselves forward. They only grow more and then they can pay us more and do more shoots and we all profit. So I think I try to look, I, I try to work with people who see the bigger picture because I do think that we all have to kind of help each other grow. I mean, that being said, like if Ralph Lauren reaches out to you, like charge your full rate for sure. <laughs> but I think there's, there's a balance. There's, there's a space. And, you know, again, a lot of the people I work with, we are very tenured or, you know, experienced. So we might be out of budget for some people and we can't move backwards. But I do think when we can create an opportunity for people to have access to that, I will. But there's so many incredible creators now and so much access. Even like when someone can't afford to have us run their social media, I'm like, post something on Instagram. There's a girl out there that you can hire in-house who will take such good care of this. There's so many people who want to be in the creative field and help and share. So I'm also very honest with people. Oh, sorry, Mike. <laughs> I'm also very honest with people after I have my introductory meeting with them where I say, you know what? It sounds like you need to actually put your money in production right now. I'm not the next person you need to pay. Wow. You need to work on this. Or like, you know what? You should just hire an in-house employee because it sounds like you're drowning in work and I'm not going to pack and ship your boxes for you. You know, so I try to really be honest with people about what to prioritize because hiring people and working with people is, it's a huge step and it's a lot of output for a small company. So I definitely, if I have an intuition or insight of how to best allocate that, I'll definitely step down and say, get that in order and then come to me when you're ready because I just think that's the ethical thing to do. Yeah, this is, we're witnessing like a, definitely a, an example of an abundant mindset, you know, <laughs> like, because I think that the fear is in, you know, um, 
you giving away the potential work, but actually it's something that gives, it contributes to them and their willingness to even refer other people to you if it makes sense. And it's just like at the end of the day, taking that time to figure out how you can best support the, the vision. And like, even if that means you telling somebody that it's not right at that time, um, is really also you contributing to your own success. You know, even though what it feels like is like a deterring people away from that immediate work, it's something that contributes to your to the full success of what you guys want to do long term. So, yeah, well, because is. success isn't a pie that you're t someone else is taking a slice away from you. Success is infinite. There's enough success for everyone in every space. So I really always tried to go in with that mentality. I grew up with a huge scarcity mindset. That was one of my biggest hurdles to overcome that. And I mean, can you put a sound to that? So for someone who maybe has a scarcity mindset right now, but they don't know what that little voice sounds like, what were some of the things that, that you heard when you were living in that space? Oh my God. I would wake up in the middle of the night with panic attacks. And the only thing that would soothe me would be paying my bills because I was just so scared that I didn't have enough money. I wouldn't be able to pay my bills. So I'd have to go through the actual action of doing it. And then I would have a panic attack about not having money anymore because <laughs> I had just paid my bills not believing I was deserving of a relationship, that I couldn't find everything I was looking for in someone, um, that I would never have enough money to stop living paycheck to paycheck, um, fear of making more money because you have to pay more taxes. Like there's so many covert yeah. things that if you don't learn about being the shepherd of your own finances from a young age, you just start to duplicate patterns of other people. And I just grew up around seeing people always saying, we can't afford this. We yes. have to cancel this. It's we, too expensive. Yeah. And so it was never, we'll figure it out. Um, I definitely think that my parents were really great at making me feel safe no matter what. I never worried if we'd have a, not have a roof over our head. And, you know, there was no question if I'd be able to go to school and, you know, you do figure it out. You take out student loans or, you know, I never was without. So I think that was this little seed inside me that just needed nourishing that my parents planted of there will always be enough. But it was just so small and undernourished that I constantly felt like I didn't have enough to expand on that. And so I constantly was creating situations for myself where I was living paycheck to paycheck, where I was going into, you know, deep debt and all of those things. And it really took grounding myself in my spiritual practices seeing real life wins and successes and, you know, making me really feel solidified in the journey that I was on. I mean, and so now fast forward five years, I'm completely debt free. Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it took a lot of mental perseverance. Like, um, there's this course I do called Benchin and it's a community Benchin, Benchin course. Yeah. It's a community of women. Um, it was launched two years ago by this woman, Desiree, who lives in Brooklyn. And the reason I love her is because she is the, the last person you think would be leading a spiritual group of women because it's like you'll log on to the live stream and she's like bumping Drake in the background. Yes. And like She's just very, <laughs> uh, to me, it feels like you can, you know, they're in the wellness community. There's a lot of rigidity. You have to be gluten-free, you have to be vegan, you have to drink green juice, and you have to not drink alcohol, and you have to do all of these things in order to be pure and well. And so I love someone like her that gives this opportunity for, you can drink coffee, 
you can go out on the weekends. You can eat gluten if you want. Like, do whatever feels good for you. Listen to your body. And you don't have to be all of those things to be in tune or aligned spiritually. And I think that that is actually a huge goal of mine in my brand is I really want to promote this balanced sense of wellness that doesn't exclude anyone and it doesn't make you feel like it's unattainable. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also like really um, watering and pouring into like what what you stand for. Like it, we and the focus right on so, so many times is like, what are we going to extract? What are we removing? What are we restricting? Versus like, oh, I'm going to bring this in. I'm going to add this. When I have this, I feel great. Um, So it's kind of, um, I think of it as just like more of a uh, pursuit, if you will, of of like what's already there for you. Um, Instead of like what you're pulling back from, you know, like I guess the attention, the attention then is on more of like what you feel like is serving you versus like what you're kind of like, I need to like subtract these air, these things from my life or whatever. Yeah. Like if 100%. you, if you feel great and eat the pasta, eat the pasta. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> whatever you need. Um, and it's different for everybody. And I, and I think it's important that, um, people kind of consider that because then, we were speaking the other day with the team of Jeff about like not having, you know, really consciously trying to not be in an echo chamber and like being really close in proximity to people that think differently than you do and eat differently than you do and speak differently than you do so that you can understand that that thread is through the humanity. And it's not like you looking over to see what your coworkers eating and then going, oh, well, later in the project, not realizing subconsciously that your judgment of what she was eating affects what happens in that next photo shoot. Oh, I love that echo chamber. That it's is- important to, to just kind of like, you know, open up like what we're viewing as something like that we've deemed ex- uh, acceptable. Well, that goes back to the working with creatives as well, is I think that's another reason I love the creative division so much is because we're not a set team of people mm. who are constantly forcing the same thing. Every shoot, or every client I receive is an opportunity for me to outreach into the community and find people with different perspectives. And if we have the common goal of achieving something that's beautiful, aesthetic and profound, artistic, but still product driven and sales focused, that container creates an opportunity for us to really see, you know, how does a stylist work? Does she have something interesting that I haven't, you know, looked into before and give her the freedom to express that or this photographer, if he, you know, wants to work with different equipment or lighting or lenses that I'm not familiar with, it's just giving that creative freedom to see things through other people's lenses, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, but yeah, so I think hundred percent, I agree with you. It's so important to surround yourself with people who think differently because it's going to help you grow and expand. And I think there's just so much polarity right now. And I think balance is definitely what I'm striving for, which I was at once told that balance isn't a static state. It's actually, it's like a yin-yang that is a full sphere that is constantly turning. Mm. And that is the balance, is it's constantly moving in order to keep the equilibrium. It's never this final state. And I think that I infuse that into everything I do in life. But yeah, I definitely think there is, as I said earlier with like the buffet analogy with my spirituality, I think that freedom to do what resonates with you and feels good is 
that balance I'm trying to find in what I'm offering to the world. But yeah, I mean, if you want to be that girl that wakes up at 5 a.m. and does 10K yep. steps, like uh, more power to yep. you. But I also think <laughs> if you want to be, you know, the girl that goes to the warehouse party till 5 a.m. but then also goes to yoga, do that too, you know? <laughs> yes, a little space for all of you. Yeah. So we um, are always curious here about the senses. What is something um, for you that is a favorite scent right now? Ooh, a favorite scent? Yes. Mm, I'm really into clean sense right now thing that things that smell like water soap like sea ocean clean laundry I feel like I'm a really citrus girl usually but now I've moved into the space where like I want people I mean I I'm not currently wearing a perfume so I'm open to suggestions but I would love for someone to walk by me and just be like you smell so clean (laughs) (laughs) nice nice and you have to talk to us about the makeup thing because we we, okay okay, the makeup (laughs) Because we see your skin and you don't wear makeup. So is that something that you always kind of practiced or um, like how did that come about for you? Um, So I, this is going to sound like a really cliche story, but one time I went to Tulum with one of my friends (laughs) and we were in Mexico and I have naturally really curly hair and um, I always straightened it with a flat iron. and growing up, I was super self-conscious about my hair. So I straightened it with a flat iron, super self-conscious about my skin because I had rosacea. And so my face was really red. And so I wore tons of makeup. I used to wear, you know, green foundation and yeah, all oh, the stuff to cover it. Yeah. And so I went to Tulum and it was just him and I. And um, I just felt so comfortable. I let my hair go curly. I stopped wearing makeup. And he stopped and looked at me and he said, you are so beautiful. What have you been doing? Wow. Why are you covering that up? And, and so I kind of thought, you know, maybe I'll just, yeah, maybe I'll start yeah. kind of letting it go. And it was a really long process. And then I think it was Alicia Keys who did that she did. The red carpet she without did. makeup. And I just, something clicked in my head where I thought it's going to be okay to do mm. this. It's going to be acceptable because before people would say, are you okay? Do you look a little tired? Oh. You know, do you want to just put on a little lip gloss? You know, there yeah, was all of these definitely. connotations out in the world that didn't allow, I think, for women to be yeah. free with their skin. And so I feel really grateful that I live during a time where things have really pivoted and going makeup free has become really embraced because growing up, I definitely felt the pressure to have a full face of makeup and look a certain Smart, way yeah. and be a certain weight and, you know, a very classic I feel like early 2000s upbringing of diet coke and rice cakes and bulimia you know I mean I personally I you know feel like almost every girl I grew up with was you know dealing with an eating disorder so and and you're here in Los Angeles so it's like a you I'm sure it was a very unique um experience and enough like just the microcosm of people here in the entertainment industry and you know, like when I went to high school, we were at the taco truck. So like we did, the complete, we did the complete opposite. We didn't have that. But like even hearing you say that now and just like thinking about that kind of pulling people's innocence in a way and, and um, their ability to trust their body and trust themselves, it, you know, is um, something that I I think of, you know, and just think, wow, like 
this is beautiful that you found full circle because of Tulum. <laughs> like I, I, I'm trusting who I am, you know? Well, I definitely lived in a bubble. I mean, I love hearing about the taco truck because I, I hope not everyone grew up the way that I did where, you know, you get a gym membership when you're 13, oh. you, you know, sit around the lunch table in high school and try to be the person who ate the least. And, oh my you know, it's definitely a really toxic environment. No one was happy in their body that I knew. It was just really a toxic environment. So I think, you know, fast forward into my adult life, having a friend really validate me in my natural state. And then now my partner, he prefers me without makeup. He every single day tells me how much he loves my body. So I feel like I've really magnetized the right environment now where I rarely feel uncomfortable in my body or being in my natural state, but I think I've worked really hard to cultivate a group of people and environments around me that really appreciate it. And I yes. think I've even cultivated my social media feeds and the people that I follow and engage with to be something that allows me to feel comfortable in my body. Because I think for a long time, I was curating a feed of women who didn't look like me. And I think that you don't realize the subconscious effect that it has on you. So I think we live during a really cool time. There's so much opportunity to find. I mean, so as destructive as social media may be sometimes, I love to look at the lighter side of it and think, you know, when I was younger, all I had access to was magazines and TV, yeah. which showed me something I couldn't connect with. And now I can find so many people, whether it's for recipes or fashion or you know, community, spirituality, whatever it is, there's just so much opportunity to find people like yourself and who are completely different to help expand and inspire yeah. you to change yeah. and evolve. Yeah, I like this, this hope. It's <laughs> with hope. And yeah, it's beautiful. It, it's it's there and, um, you know, it, it just brings like new voices and, and new people into the space. What is your favorite taste right now? Hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like food? Yeah. I was like, where are we going to go with this? <laughs> oh my, yes. oh my God. She said like food. I'm like, okay, so there's something else. I'm missing out on this taste. We need, we're gonna, yeah. Well, I just love food. Oh no. I'm trying to think, hone in on something specific. What's your favorite food? <sighs> my favorite. I love Indian food. Oh, I'm kind of coming to, you know, I did take this allergy test. Look, this oh, sounds no. so LA. Is it the Everwell sense so, of food look, we're gonna we're going to have to revisit because <laughs> we're not pulling curry out of this anymore. I'm like, um, I, I love Indian food. Um, and then I, I was on a kick with like a, a dragon fruit for a minute. Ooh, yeah. Like just, I always wanted something kind of like fresh. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what about you? Is there something that like cooking or something that you kind of like even an ingredient that you're, you've been into? I'm on a fruit first kick. Okay. So for the past year, the first thing I have in the morning is fruit. And prior to that, I was an eggs girl. Okay. And I didn't grow up eating very healthy. Um, it was either like you don't eat or you just eat whatever you want. And I went through different phases. And I think I've really only been exposed to healthy food in, I mean, if I'm being generous, the past decade, I grew up, you know, eating at TJ Fridays and Chili's and I like, hear it. <laughs> you know, we get pop, pop, pop tarts and egos. Yeah. Mom's exactly. going to come for me though. Cause she, she had us on grape nuts first, but um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean like sugar cereal growing up was my yeah. favorite, all of that. And so I feel like, um, 
I remember one of my friends said, you know, when I am had a really crazy weekend and I'm not feeling good on a Monday morning, I'll have some fruit and it feels so good and cleansing. And I thought, of course you do. Yeah, yeah. Of no. course you do, bitch. <laughs> like, <laughs> but she I'm didn't lie. I'm not going to eat fruit for breakfast. <laughs> like, I'm not a bird. I'm not a rabbit. Like, what is this? And then I kind of just one day I was like, I'm not feeling that well. Maybe I should just try that for And now I'm obsessed. And now I try to find rare fruits. I These pink strawberries that I found and like melons and I'm just going on a craze. And I wake up every morning so excited to eat to get fruit. fruit. And inadvertently, I'd, I'm not a scientist. Yes. <laughs> I don't ahead. know. But I think it's cured my eczema. I haven't had an eczema breakout in a year since really? I started this. I was going to ask, what was the cure for this? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm like, what was the cure? I, and also, I'm sure there's so many nutrients and antioxidants and hydration in the fruit. So that's, and also probably just like not having the stress too of, you know what I mean? Like sometimes even just our digestion and our skin and all these things are a reflection of stress. I think it's. When I was having coffee first thing before. So I think that was a huge journey for me was calming down my nervous system. I had adrenal fatigue. I was, I was one of those people who woke up, pounded coffee, go, go. And then, you know, it's only 6.30 a.m. and people are texting me like, are you okay? I've already gotten 100 emails from you. So it was psycho. So I think integrating fruit first and then having my coffee, my nervous system is just more calm. I set a time where I don't go onto my emails until a certain time. So there's definitely something about the fruit. It just really eases me into the day. It's really balanced lifestyle and it's, you know, it's still fun and fresh and I make it really fun where I, you know, go to farm, farmer's markets and different stores and look for different mm. stuff and kind of explore that. So, yeah, but I do love cooking. I try to cook multiple times a week, but yeah, I think that's definitely something that I want to learn more about yeah. and explore more because I love cooking, but I definitely think I got burnt out during quarantine. quarantine so yes. now I'm, I'm ready to be re-inspired. Okay. Well, we'll keep eyes palace into the kitchen, okay? I was thinking that. I was like, they haven't gone into the kitchen yet, but I'd love to see what that would look like. So I know the backsplash will be nice and tonal. I hope. Well, hopefully when I buy my home, yes. we'll, we'll have, have to come back. Re- yes. renovation. You'll get to see it all. Yes. Well, thank you so much for just like sharing some of who you are and just your space is beautiful and thank so you. is the vision. and. Yeah, we're excited to watch you grow and, and root for you and support your brands. And, Thank you. Is yeah. there anything else you wanted me to like elaborate on or bridge or nice. like talk about? Oh, wait, I have one more thing. Sorry, last one. I have to ask. He's like, okay. I have heard and we have heard so many times about the pressure that people feel for founders to be front facing. And this is the first time that many of us have seen who the woman is behind <laughs> the brands that we so love. Can you um, speak to your experience of that if you feel it's necessary, if you feel that it isn't? Because you've really grown a brand without, you know, really being at the forefront physically for at least in a digital capacity. And so I wanted to know your thoughts on that. Yeah, as I said before, I'm a BTS babe yes. for sure. I think from a client perspective, if someone were to come to me and I were to meet the founder and really see a spark in them, I would definitely tell them, get in front of the camera. People want to connect with a real person. It Sometimes for brands that we work with, just adding in their Instagram bio by so-and-so and tagging their personal account, they'll start getting more sales just because people go, oh, this isn't some random company that just sprung up on Instagram. 
and started creating product, it's a real person that wants to do something. So I can't negate that that is a way to really connect with people and help boost your business. But my blanket statement for success is if it's not your way, it's not going to work. You have to do what's intuitive and authentic to you. I think that if people do what is intuitive and authentic to them, you can find success in any form. So I'm not quick to say there's a should or have to way that anyone has to do anything. But if you're willing to and you're open to it, putting you know a, a face to a name and a person to a business is always really helpful just in the climate that we're in. Well, thank you for letting us bring you in front of the camera today. Yes. Yeah, this Good. was so amazing. Amazing. Yes. Okay.